Ultimate Pocket Therapist podcast. We are a mother and daughter team of Brooke and Shanette, wanting to educate and enlighten others on mental health issues. We are on episode three. Wow. I know. Let's go. Yep. We are continuing on. Yes. <laughs> so do you want to kind of um, do a little highlight of the second podcast and we'll move right into the third kind of what we covered last one yeah yeah so if you guys have if this is the first time of you uh tuning in on us please go back and listen even from the first episode at this point um we are kind of building so um first episode we started to break into dyslimia which is mild to moderate depression um the last episode episode two we were talking about treatment and the different kinds of treatment um so yeah, if you are just tuning in, you very well may be confused. Please go back and start from the beginning. It'll make more sense. It will. It'll be very mm-hmm. helpful. So what we need to remind everyone here is our disclaimer that this is a podcast. It is in no way, shape, or form to substitute as a therapy session. If any of the stuff that we talk about in our podcast is close to home and something that you might need help with, we encourage you to contact a mental health professional in your area and seek treatment because this podcast is just to basically give information, share stories, and have fun. Yep. As much fun as we can have with mental health topics. Oh, it's fun. Mental health topics. Oh, it's always fun. It is fun. Oh, yeah. It's just great grand old time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this episode, um, we wanted to kind of roll off treatment and kind of go based off the topic of like what what to do when you are thinking a loved one, someone in your life, someone is else, struggling. yeah, is struggling with dyslimia mm-hmm. and what that looks like, and maybe what options you may or you may not have in helping them get help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Helping because... others get the help that you feel they need. Yeah, you very well may end up stranded and not be able to help, but. Yeah, here's some ideas. Mm -hmm. Yes, so we have quite a few examples of this. So So one of the things that we look at when we're talking about helping someone else get help, and this is a, a slippery road. This is a hard one. So we have to make sure before we even go there that we educate ourselves on what depression is. Because depression is really different than just feeling sad. And so we want to make sure that we have a pretty good handle on what we believe depression is before we start kind of going out there wanting others to seek help for depression. So basically, I think going over the symptoms of depression, something that we actually discussed in episode one, the symptoms for dyslimia. But just a quick review is when we're looking at depression in others, it is things like problems with sleep, problems with energy, feeling inadequacy, loss of self-esteem, feeling um, totally unproductive at schoolwork or home where they just feel like they can't get anything done, social withdrawal, This is a big one, loss of interest in enjoyment of pleasurable activities, irritability. We see this a lot. One of the things with irritability in children, it's generally expressed towards parents. Just inability to respond to apparent pleasure, 
pessimistic attitude, um, tearfulness, crying, and reoccurrent thoughts of death and suicide. That's just briefly going over them, and, and you can go back to episode number one or um, Google the DSM-5 for the diagnostic criteria. But one of the things is not everyone who is depressed will exhibit all those symptoms. Right, especially difference in ages and genders. Yep. yep. There is a very big difference with a man and a woman. Right. And I, I get there's that fine mm-hmm. line of who identifies as what, but honestly, a man who is exhibiting mild depression, dysthymia, is going to be very different from a woman who is right. exhibiting. Yep. So what we see more in men with depression and um, dysthymia is irritability, anger episodes. They're just ornery. Snap. You know, oh, just that like... Take your head off. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I know man or woman, you've experienced that. When you just like, when someone whips around, you almost get that whiplash. You're like, whoa, where did that come from? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to, that, and women will do it too, but that's very prominent in men right. who are depressed. And generally in women, we see more of the emotional side, a lot of tearfulness and crying, feelings of hopelessness. Women seem overall to be more open about their emotions. Men tend to hide behind emotions and it comes out with behavior. Mm-hmm. Yep. So one of the things that we look at, if we're trying to help people that we care about is the age group. Yes. Okay. So helping a child looks much different than helping an adult. So helping a child with depression, if a parent can recognize, or maybe even a teacher brings up the fact that, you know, I think your kid is struggling. One of the things with kids is we have a little bit more control as a parent. We can exercise that control get a therapy session, you know, work on different modalities to help them. Mm-hmm. Way different. Like with kids, finding a therapist that deals with children, crucial. Yes. Yep. You've been down that road. Yeah, I have. So um, my nine-year-old, he um, is ADHD. And what was it? Probably it was right before COVID hit, right in the spring beginning of 2020. Yeah. Um, finally his dad and his stepmom and me and my current husband, we all kind of just got on the same page that he was struggling and there was, I, we couldn't quite put our finger on it. And so his stepmom, she is wonderful. She is probably the best person in the world to co-parent with. Um, I adore her. She knew of a neuropsychologist and got Gunner an appointment. He, that's my nine-year-old, got him an appointment and we spent an entire day with this doctor and he basically dissected his brain from the inside out doing tests, playing games. Right. And from that, amazingly, he came up with this treatment plan for Gunner and what was going on with him. And it turns out he was indeed ADHD, which we had, we all had an inclining that he was going to be, that he was ADHD, but there was this underline of emotion and anxiety 
and sadness that we could not as emotional breakdowns too. Yes. And he was struggling as parents for, for parents, we could not grasp what was actually happening. So that's what prompted this neuropsychologist visit. And turns out he has ADHD that presents itself as anxiety, emotion, depression type, rather than the running in circles, jumping up and down crazy. When he's having his biggest ADHD moments, a lot of times it's emotional outbursts. Mm-hmm. And so since then, we've now been on that path of figuring out um, that fine fine tuning, I guess, his treatment plan. And it really took, um, honestly, f- figuring out between parents mm-hmm. how to co-parent and keep things consistent with him. Mm-hmm. Because with that, he also was... he was just prone to manipulation too. So right. the typical, well, at dad's house, I don't have to do this. Well, mom says I don't have to do that. And so it really took me and my ex and our current spouses to really get on that same playing field of, as Gunner calls it, running our mouths to each other. And he doesn't get away with anything. And with that also, he's now, we finally figured out a really great medication for him. And it and is- And you guys have been- great too in regulating his emotional outbreaks yes and being able to be on the same page in how you deal with these emotional outbreaks because that was one of the things that we saw most mm-hmm. in him yeah. yeah and he really I mean at the time we were getting along as co-parents but he would really play both sides against mm-hmm. each other and one of the biggest things that we did as a family unit, as four parents co-parenting, is we talk to each other and we don't let him get away with, but oh, get away with anything really. But right. mostly on that of we react the same way mm-hmm. to him. There's and, that consistency. Yes, we de-escalate the same way. Right. So he is on a, an ADHD medication that also helps with anxiety, mild depression in children Mm -hmm. with that and consistency. Mm -hmm. And that is just, that is actually a really good example of when you see these kind of emotional problems in kids, depression in kids, parents can, especially if you're on the same page in a divorce setting, but parents can take control and they have a they have a better opportunity to get help for kids. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we may have had more of a drastic end of going to the neuropsych, but we did that because we knew there was an underlining of some form of an ADHD or maybe a learning disability. He was only barely seven at the time. So we Mm -hmm. were really treading differently on that. But yeah, as a parent, even just starting with a primary care, like, Mm -hmm. you know, this is what we're seeing. What do you think? Getting the referrals. Getting the referrals and then finding even a child psychotherapist. Doesn't even need to be a psychiatrist. And just, mm-hmm. you have power as a parent, especially in younger than that teenage year. Right. To have the power to really fix it. And it's mm-hmm. on you at that point to fix it because they right. can't. And they don't know what's going on. And that brings up a really interesting topic Teenagers. Oh, yes. Oh, my word. <laughs> so, you know, teenagers, oh, it's it's tricky. I, I honestly, it is, it's a hard one. There are some teenagers that are very receptive to the idea that their parents are recommending help, counseling, and whatever. And there are other teenagers that 
you know, if a parent even suggests that they might need counseling, it is going to be that, you know, but heads, I don't need help back to, you know, human nature. Mm-hmm. None of us like to be told we have to, and none of us like to be told no. And so sometimes recognizing depression and the fact that your teenager needs help can be kind of tricky because they're not always receptive mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You don't necessarily have that power to just be like, this is what we're doing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, the older well, they get, the more opinion they have. As a, as a therapist, I've had so many teenagers that have been drugged into counseling by their parents and they get there and they're angry. They don't want counseling. They think it's just a bunch of bullshit and it's their parents' idea. And it's, it's difficult. Sometimes I get past that and we end up with a pretty good working relationship. And other times it's not going to work mm-hmm. because they just dig their heels in. And that's where you found, um, I'm, we'll bring this up in p- future episodes, but you found that equine assisted psychotherapy so helpful with teenagers because yep. you can't hide your emotions from an animal. Right. And the therapist stays out of it and the horse becomes a therapist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll get into that and explain that. But yeah. that was that I remember when you started doing equine assisted psychotherapy more, mm-hmm. it was night and day change for you and your teenagers. Right. Yeah. Because yep. it might they matter. could not sit in my office and tell me what I they thought I wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because yeah. you cannot hide behind a horse. Yeah. yeah they're going to bring it out. Yep. Yeah. Horses are mirrors of emotions. Mm-hmm. And again, we'll, we'll have yeah. amazing episodes on that, but. But so you find a teenager, you know, maybe your own teenager, maybe your friend's teenager that's really struggling with depression and you just, you know, you've educated yourself. You pretty much feel like they are. Then what do you do? Yeah. Like. You know, what happened with you when you were a teenager and you got approached (laughs) on this topic, Brooke? (laughs) Well, um, so yeah, I was 16 and my mom, um, I think she might be listening right now, but probably she, I, I, I don't really remember exactly what happened or what you saw, but I just remember it was, I was bitchy. Mm-hmm. More than the average teenage girl. Right. It was like almost rather than having bitchy moments, mm-hmm. but most of the time I was my normal self, I was rarely my normal self. And I would have more often than not the quote unquote bitchy moments. Right. So what did, what did you see? Cause I was the teenage girl. So right. it's probably a lot different than teenage boys. What I saw more in you, and we'll get into the difference between this and actually what I saw in your brother when he was at that same age. But what I saw in you was just like everything was everybody else's fault. You were a victim. If we ask you to do anything, you were a professional at rolling your eyes and clucking which would send your dad into orbit. Okay. (laughs) But it was like, that was your response to any request. Yeah. We had, and there was always a reaction. Um, and you also slept a lot. Yeah. I do remember that. I remember coming home from school and taking a nap and it was like more of that uncontrolled. And even in school, I would fall asleep. I was really, 
I just was drained. Yeah, that hypersomnia where you're tired all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I also, I remember, and I know this still stands true based off the times I was an adult and I've gotten off of my antidepressants, but victim. Mm Mm-hmm everybody was, was yeah everyone yeah. was mean to me whether they even knew who i was or not they were and that's that interpersonal sensitivity yeah. that we see more in females yeah they were personally mm-hmm. attacking me yep they might have sneezed in line yep. at the grocery store and it was a personal attack yeah on me yeah so the opposite of that in a way is your older brother okay so what we know about depression is that it tends to run in families. And like we clarified in episode one, this comes from your father's side. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. This would be nothing to do with me. But what we saw with your brother is he was about 16, 16 and a half, and we were up at Redfish Lake, and we were doing a camping trip with other family members. So we had aunts, uncles, cousins up there, you all were trying to learn to wakeboard. I mean, we were just having a really good time. You told me on that camping trip that if I caught a snipe, I could keep it in my room. Correct. The mythological, right, not the real snipe. bird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I spent every single night with my cousins trying to catch a snipe right. to keep in my room. Right. And, right. and you, if you had caught a snipe, you could have kept it in your room. Yes. I wasn't lying. And I was hunting those damn snipe. I know you were. Mm-hmm. And you did a darn good job. Yeah, I never caught one. No, no. But had you, you could <laughs> have kept, have it, kept. In your, it in your room. But anyway, besides the snipe episode, <laughs> we were noticing, um, Paul and I were noticing that your brother at night, we were all around the campfire and... Paul's family is funny. They they laugh, they joke. They are just very, very funny people. And everyone would be outrageous. Everyone would be having fun. And we noticed that he was just kind of sitting at the fire, poking it with a stick, kind of occasionally like interacting with people, but not much, just off. And, you know, I think actually it was Paul that brought it to my attention first. He goes, you know, just pay attention to what's going on. And so even after the camping trip, we just started noticing that there wasn't a lot of enjoyment. He was just off, a um, little irritable. So one day I, everyone was gone and I just said, Hey, you know, come down to my office. We need to talk. And so I just shared with him what I had been seeing, the changes in him. And I went through all of the diagnostic criteria for dyslimia and he politely sat in my office and listened. And it was one of those times where I said, okay, I'm not your mom. I'm, I'm going to be a therapist and this is just what I see going on. And I went through the options of what we can do to treat it. We talked about therapy. We talked about medication and he politely listened. And when I was all done, he just got up and left with, not much feedback. Okay. <laughs> so I'm thinking, well, all, all I could do was just kind of share what I thought and just kind of watch. And it was about two months after that, that he actually approached me and he says, Hey mom, I've been thinking about what you said. And I think I might want to try an antidepressant. And so I scheduled an appointment with a general practitioner in town that I knew was very knowledgeable with depression. 
I took him to the appointment. I sat in the corner, did not, did not have any interaction at all with the doctor. It got to be about him. Interesting. The doctor and just talking to him went through some of the exact same diagnostic criteria, but did it more in kind of a question about his life type of thing, put him on Celexa and he responded really well. We saw a significant difference and he is someone that does not require being on an antidepressant the rest of his life. I don't know if after that first time he's even ever been on an antidepressant since because he has figured out how to regulate it. Going back to what we talked about in the first episode is oftentimes the goal of being on an antidepressant is to be off of it, to get in, to fix the chemical imbalances that are going on in our body and to learn how to cope with things differently, handle situations differently and get ourselves off, mm -hmm. you know, but that was a totally different experience between my two kids yeah. of, of how depression manifested itself and also kind of approaching you with treatment. Yeah. 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 And I was, um, you know, just very different personalities between me and my brother. Oh yeah. We're, we could Night and be day. more opposite if we tried. And so for me, it was really, uh, you know, okay, mom suggested it. Mom feels this way. Let's go for it. Mm -hmm. Let's do it. And it was just like, okay, not an option. I was just going to do it where, where my brother had to take time to process. process it and think about it. It had to be his idea. It had to be his and idea. And that's important. Yeah. It's very important. Yeah. Yeah. We really need to think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have, a, I have a friend who's kind of gone through this with her teenage daughter. I remember I, I oh, was, yeah. you were my sounding board through this because I was trying to help them also. Right. But their daughter had started exhibiting depression symptoms a few years back. I think eighth grade, maybe I it was, I, w I remember this probably 13. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that time. Right. And it was, and a lot of people will come to me just knowing that I have, a mom that's a therapist. A mom that, yeah. So a lot of people come to me and just as a sounding board and it, and it works, it's effective because yeah. I talk to you and mm -hmm. it, and we usually can help in some way a little. Give some ideas. Yeah. So anyways, um, this friend of mine ended up getting her daughter on an antidepressant, but with that, the daughter had become educated on basically you know what it entailed to be depressed she was she was depressed mm -hmm. and a medication really helped she started going to some therapy it didn't last long because teenagers and therapists as we stated before sometimes not don't a great mix long. and don't right. last um but it was probably about a year after that she was still on that medication and at home she seemed fairly fine more that normal teenager yeah but not anything that was sending off red flags but the school started to contact my friend and started to vocalize concerns about suicide in this teenager and that's never anything to take lightly i no. mean when, ever. when a school when a school is concerned about they need to react yes yeah, they, yeah. It, you do not just push that aside yeah regardless right and so my friend and her husband started getting very worried about this kid because yeah again 
you know, the, you don't, that's not something you joke around on. Right. And you don't take lightly. Right. Like you need to get this. Yeah. You need to be proactive. Yes. Mm-hmm. Get help. Get this figured out. Right. So long story short, what the daughter was doing was she had figured out how to basically walk the walk and talk the talk. Oh, she was manipulating the system. Yes. Oh, yeah. On oh, yeah. to the poor school counselor. Uh-huh. And any time she was almost in trouble for not turning in work or not doing homework or anything, anything, yeah. she would start and she, she pulled a suicide card. She would. And, yeah. and effectively, because she had been through the diagnostic criteria of depression. So she was saying the correct things right. to send red Smart flags. Smart little girl. Smart little girl. And it took parents with the school as soon as they realized that there was not an mm-hmm. actual threat of suicide, right. that this was a manipulation tactic, it took them all sitting down and nipping that in the butt. Yeah. So that is a whole different <laughs> whole different ball game, you know, because it's like, when do you help kids, but when, when are they manipulating, mm-hmm. you know? And we don't see that often, but when no. they do, they're good at it. They were. It was, oh, it was... I do remember she was good. Yeah, it was very... Um, Academy Award performance. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Good job. That was funny. So what what do we do if it's an adult? You know, we've kind of talked about kids, teenagers, you know. Adults are a whole nother ball game because basically with adults, you know, it is entirely up to them yeah. to seek treatment. And, you know, you can kind of guide them in the right direction, but, you know, you don't have much authority, if any, over what they do with that information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, that's actually one of the first places to go when we're looking at helping an adult get help for themselves is to be very honest and share what we see. You know, this is what I've been noticing. These are the changes. This is what I have been seeing going on with you, you know, and also share with them that you're concerned that they may be depressed because interestingly enough, a lot of people don't know what depression is and have actually never thought of it as depression. And when you go, you know, I think you might be struggling with depression. It might be the first time that they thought of that. So I think bringing it to their attention is one of the first things that we can do. And and also talking to them about resources Mm -hmm. that are available, you know, kind of like mental health resources, online resources, Mm -hmm. you know, what what is out there that they can do, going to their doctor and talking about it. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize that their primary care doctor, their general practitioner is actually where you start. Right. Is someone who can really help with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens with an adult that you're living with or someone that you're really close to and you kind of share all this with and you're kind of like working towards getting them help and you just hit this wall of resistance? Any ideas? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, if good old ultimatum, <laughs> yeah, I, it's hard to say. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, gonna have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So oh. I actually kind of have a funny story 
about that. It's not really an ultimatum, but it was pretty funny about that is um, you were little and um, I had noticed that your dad was just really, again, depression runs on the side of the family and he was just really struggling. He was snarky and just short tempered and whatever. And I had tried, I had tried what I thought were all the good approaches. You know, I went over all the diagnostic criteria and he listened I didn't get much feedback, but you know, finally one day you were, you were probably a little over a year old and it had been a hard year. You know, you had colic as a baby. My dad died of cancer that year. It'd been a lot of stress that we were going through and we were shuffling you back and forth. So we didn't have to put you in daycare. So we were taking turns parenting as one of us both being self-employed, we're working. So I get out of a therapy session one day and I've got a break and I go upstairs and Paul says, I'm going to go out and brush the horses. I said, okay, well, you know, you'd rather go brush the horses than listen to the wrath of your wife. And he goes, I didn't know my wife had a wrath. <laughs> I go, well, here's the deal. I said, you are, you are really struggling and here's your options. You've got two options. Your options are you can take Prozac or you can take Prozac. And I don't really care which one you pick, but pick one of them. <laughs> and he stormed out of the house, went to brush the horses. And um, as he's storming out of the house, he goes, fine, I'll take Prozac. And this was bitter cold, middle of winter. He didn't last outside very long. He comes <laughs> back inside and I says, you need to run up to the pharmacy and pick up your Prozac. <laughs> And he goes, damn, you work fast. <laughs> I go, yeah, I've got connections. This is back in the day before HIPAA law, and you could call your doctor and get a prescription on the phone. But with that story is when he started taking an antidepressant, he took Prozac, which is about the only one on the market back then. It had a patent on it. We didn't have a lot of other um, medications to choose from. But it was a significant change. And he didn't take it for a real long period of time, but just enough to get his chemical imbalances in sync again. And he actually worked very hard to kind of deal with the depression on his own. He would walk daily, even though it was cold, he would make, he made himself some homemade hand weights and he'd walk through the neighborhood in the snow and get that sunlight, that vitamin D, get the exercise, do stuff. And he really didn't, he's one of the people that over time has gone on and off an antidepressant when he feels like it need, but unlike you who have, you have a really hard time keeping your chemical balance in sync without the aid of a medication. He's a little bit like your brother who can go on one kind of, it targets what's going on in your body and then get off of it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But that happens a lot is that too. I, I need you to do something. You know, you don't realize how you are, but I'm living with you. Yeah. And that's a huge one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had a friend recently and both the husband and wife are very close to me. Um, but I've known since I've met them and it's been five, six years from now, or maybe even a little bit longer, but I noticed just knowing the signs that it was like, okay, he has big times, like struggles with depression. depression. Mm -hmm. You can just see it. You can't. And yeah. just talking with him, even if we're out doing happy, fun things, 
you can just see. Mm-hmm. And finally, recently, his wife had enough. And yep. she had to give him that ultimatum of either you get help, you fix this. She put it on him. You fix this. And she also it was with a, we will go to counseling together, but you need to go to your doctor. You need to go to therapy on your own and fix this because you are making everybody's life hell. Right. The kids were suffering from it and he was not, never was physical abusive or anything, but just right. never. It's, it's hard when you have a parent or someone that you're living with that's never happy. Right. Like that weighs on you, whether they're really attacking right. you it's or not. It's not easy to be around anger. No, it's Mm-mm. not. And no, he, that's it's tough. That's the way his depression really yeah. presented itself. You know, like we were saying, men mm, are right. often, it's anger, ornery, snappy, edgy. Right. That and, irritability that just is there almost every day. Yeah. So mm-hmm. she told him, I'm moving out. And until you get this fixed, we are separated. You start getting this fixed. You start going through the motions of, mm-hmm. you know, getting help. Right. And then we'll talk about moving back in together. And I was so proud of her. And I remember telling her, I love you both so much. You are both such a great part of my life. But good for you because mm-hmm. he does need help. Mm-hmm. He knows he needs and help. And actually, it worked. He, it worked. He, he did seek help. He did go to therapy and they're doing great. Yeah. They and are they, back on track. And she had tried for years little ways of hinting, right. you know, and mm-hmm. she's not a therapist or anything. So she didn't have the the ability to dive deeper. Right. But I mean, she tried little ways to just try to get him on board. And it finally, it wasn't until she put her Took foot the down. Ultimatum. Yeah. yeah. And it was it like, happens. yeah, I would rather live alone than live with you like this. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, sometimes it does get to an ultimatum mm-hmm. point, you know, but we, we hope it doesn't. But just back to it's, it's tricky yeah. when we're on the outside looking in and we want to try to help someone. I know as a professional, it's way different than clients coming to see me, what I, what I do in my office as opposed to what I do in my personal life when I see friends or family that struggle with dysthymia and depression. And I've had really close friends that I know are really depressed and I bring it up and they get a little bit defensive at times because I think they think I'm trying to be a therapist. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's just like, well, you know, I am, (laughs) but you could also benefit, you know, and they kind of, again, dig their heels in. But I think the important thing is if we notice it in someone we can do a lot, even if it's the gentle approach, we can do a lot to really kind of nudge them towards getting help. And even, you know, one of the other things that we can do is be very supportive in, you know, become their gym partner, um, create times to go out with them, get them out of the house. You know, if it's a family member, we can maybe help take the load off of them, do a few extra chores so they're not so overwhelmed. Um, you know, basically give them a safe place to talk to, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. If we become that safe person to talk to, it is huge because oftentimes they, they want to talk, but they don't feel safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, it's 
also figuring out your relationship with that person and evaluating that before Mm -hmm. you go in. Because some people, you're going to have to just play hardball. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to, whether you want to or not, get that backbone if you think it's going to help and lay down the law with them, basically. Mm -hmm. Or evaluate your relationship and it's somebody that you do baby steps with right and help that Mm -hmm. way but also you got to remember it is not your job to fix anybody right and like we talked about in episode two i had a friend who needed help in her life and put it all on me and i could not help her Right. And no matter how many times it was a, you need to leave, you need to do therapy, you need to this, you need to that, nothing changed. And I actually had to cut ties with her Mm -hmm. because it was too much for me. Because you were taking that on. I was taking it on and Mm -hmm. I could not fix her. Right. Or her situation. And we have to remember that. It's not up to us to fix, Mm -hmm. you know, but we certainly can be supportive and encourage. Yeah. Yep. Unless you're a parent, then it is kind of up to you. There's that, again, that that fine line. If Mm -hmm. as a parent, you need to step in, step in and fix it. Right. But as a friend or a spouse or another adult to adult. Yep. It It depends on the age and the relationship. Yep. Yep. Definitely. All right. So... That was kind of a insight into uh, working with other people. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot more to be said on that one, as with all mental health topics. It's <laughs> never just one episode. Yeah. Yeah. So remember our, um, our disclaimer, if any of this touches close to home, do not hesitate to seek your own professional help. This is not intended to be a therapy session. And as we mentioned last week, we are open to receiving feedback from our listeners. If anyone has a topic they would like to discuss, a situation that they feel fits something that we're talking about, please email us. Brooke is going to have that up and going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be, look in our show notes again. Show um, notes, right. Yeah, down yep. below in the description, we'll have, email us if you have something, some form of input. Mm-hmm. Just send it an email. Um, with that, I will have links to our blog and our Facebook for if we have any further notes or resources that we would like you guys to have access to. But yeah, email us if you got something that you want to share, even if it's just a fun, juicy story. Great. <laughs> Everyone loves a fun, juicy story. Oh, that's funny. Um, but make sure with that, again, do not put in identifying factors if you don't want those shared. Right. And we will try to keep everything anonymous. Yes. We will yes. not use names, no. but keep it discreet. Definitely. All right. That well, seems to be the end of it. And we will just wrap up this episode. Yeah. And we will catch you guys next week. Yep. Yep.